0: to the book of Jonah. We'll give you a little bit of time if you have a Bible just like mine. It's on page 1031. Jonah, as I mentioned last week, is one of the ones that I always have to think through of exactly. It just doesn't uh, come to me there, but um, I'll let you get to the book of Jonah. We left Jonah last week in the belly of the great fish. So he's been there seven days. Well, he's actually three, but we've kind of left him there. But uh, when we looked at Jonah, and Jonah gets a word from the Lord, it's not his idea that Jonah comes up with to go to Nineveh. It's God's word to his prophet. And we know that Jonah already had a word from God because we read it and looked at it in 2 Kings. He spoke restoration to the nation of Israel. Well, he doesn't absolutely know what God wants to say to Nineveh. But he is not going to do it. In fact, we can say he almost told the Lord, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out. Find somebody else. I'm going to sit this one out. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Now, Nineveh is a, a wicked city. It's interesting that God calls it a great city. But he said it's wickedness has come up to me. Jonah may have thought this, if I enter into the city of our enemies, I could be killed. How many times do we not do things that God says because it's an inconvenience to us? I don't want to do that. Or what he's thinking is these are the enemies. I'm your prophet. I should be prophesying to the children of Israel. I don't need to go to this nation. Well, here's what we don't get an opportunity to say. We don't get a choice to say where God sends us. We joked last week of, you know, uh, we just took that quick poll of if we were starting a church in Hawaii, how many of you would go help out? And boy, several hands went up. But when we said Mojave Desert, everybody thought, no, that's crazy. We, we think of things that we want, but we have to focus in on what God wants. Here's what we see in the scripture, too. There always seems to be a man or woman on the run. Adam and Eve. What do they do after they sinned? They hid from God. We read about Moses, that Moses is going to try to get away from the situation of living in the palace. And he goes to the backside of the desert for 40 years. Nobody's going to find him on the backside of the desert. Except one day there's a burning bush. We read about Jonah, right? And he wants to take off and he wants to hide. But God's going to get his attention with a very big fish. But it's going to cause him to pray and then obey. That's my title today, Pray and then Obey. I was, I was reading a funny story this week. There was a pastor of an inner city church, and he was pulling into his church Sunday morning and noticed right across the busy intersection that a brand-new nightclub was getting ready to open, and it was the type of nightclub that wasn't just a club club, if you know what I mean. And he was shocked. He came to the church, and that service, he talked about getting people in the church to sign up, and they were going to pray that business out. They had people sign up for 24 hours, sign up to pray. We're going to pray 24 hours a day until that business closes. Well, about a week into it, there was this odd thunderstorm through the night that kind of blew in and blew out. And as the pastor pulled into the office the next morning, he noticed that this club had burned completely down to the ground. No business on the right or left of it or the church. It was just this one business. And as he walked in his office, he thanked, right, thank God no longer did he have to look on that until Sunday after church as he was heading to his vehicle, a gentleman came up to him, called him by name and handed him a summons, he was being taken to court. As he read through the court papers, it was this club that was suing him in the church because the building had burned down and they found out that they had been praying. <laughs> well, in front of the judge, the club's attorney made a plea and said it was all the church's fault and they had people praying. We had people that even heard that people were praying. And when the pastor got up to share... He said, no, it was a thunderstorm. It had nothing to do with prayer. We weren't praying for a thunderstorm. And the judge got a little frustrated. And he looked at the pastor and he said these words. He says, you mean to tell me that the club owner believes more than prayer than the pastor? (laughs) Jonah, at the worst of the worst times in his life, is going to come to himself and pray. But don't wait until you're in the belly of a great fish to where you say, you know what, I think I'm going to try today. I think I might pray. We'll see a little bit later. Paul mentions to pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. It needs to be something that's on our heart, that we're people of prayer. So last week before I, uh, some of you, everybody found Jonah? Okay, i got to get there too in a minute. Um, Jonah, we kind of said each chapter was this, and I I think it's important for us to see Jonah. Chapter one is, I won't go. Chapter two was, okay, I'll go. Chapter three was, here I am, Lord. And then chapter four was, I knew I shouldn't have come. So your homework after service today is Jonah chapter four, because we won't get there, and you'll get to see Jonah's response to how God responds So I want to pick this up in Jonah, just open right up in my Bible. Jonah chapter 2, and I want to look at the part where he is swallowed in the belly of the great fish. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surround me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Notice what he says next. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. I see this in the Bible with men and women of God. There's a shift that takes place when they're stuck in some circumstance and they begin to stop and it's what they look to. In Jonah's situation he's looking unto the temple of God, right? Your holy temple. David looks to the hills but where does his help come from? His help comes from the Lord. So it's the what we look at And he says this in verse 5, The waters encompassed me even to my soul. Some of your translations will say, The waters rose up to my neck. Yeah, he's in the belly of this great fish, right? Water's coming in. Water's coming out. The water's coming up to his neck. Evidently, he's able to keep his head above the water a little bit. We read on, and it says this, The waters encompassed me to my neck. The deep closed around me, Weeds were wrapped around my head. Some of your translations will say seaweed. Fish had to eat, right? He had to eat. Seaweeds are wrapped around. Is this a comfortable environment to be in? Right? We go on. I went down to the moorings. In fact, the, um, one of the words is the foundation. I went down to the foundation of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols, verse 8, those who regard Worthless idols. You know, there's a reference to 2 Kings chapter 17. The people of Israel were captive by the Assyrians. Nineveh is a city of Assyria. But the children of Israel, when they became captives, began to worship their idols. They begin to follow after the wickedness. In an interesting connection, those who regard worthless idols... These idols that were worshipped, this is just coming out of Jonah, were worthless. And he says this, who forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, and salvation is of the Lord. Everybody say, salvation is of the Lord. Now, when we read this a little bit, It is the strangest place to ever read in the Bible that a prayer meeting took place. We read about the upper room. We read about David praying. It's not like, hey, sign up today. You're going to get to pray in the belly of a great fish. It's the strangest place for a prayer meeting. And so far in all of what we have read about Jonah, he's been a prayless prophet. Those two words shouldn't even be connected. It should be a prayerful prophet you don't want a prophet of somebody saying hey i just want you i don't even pray no you want a prayerful prophet he hasn't even been praying what we've seen in the scripture and he's got no flashlight he's got no candle he has no way to do a sacrifice there's nothing in there we don't know how tight the quarters are we just read this he is saying man water's coming in the water's coming out, and we're going so deep, it's like down to the foundations. There's seaweed I'm pulling off my head. And he doesn't know what's about to take place. There's no word from God that says, you know what, I'm just going to kind of keep you quiet for three days. We're going to get some prayer stuff going on you, and then we're going to vomit you out. There's nothing that he knows. So with no hope, this prayerless prophet begins to pray. Look at your neighbor and say, "You need to pray, right? You need to pray. These are days that we have to be people that praying should be something that's connected to the believer. I believe, and I also what? I pray. We've got to be people today that pray. Yet in verse two, uh, verse one and two, we read this: that Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish." I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and then read it with me, and he answered me. We see this about God. This is God's nature for God to respond back when we pray. I, I always find it interesting when I pray, and then maybe I don't hear anything for a long period of time, and then I'm reading my Bible, and I feel like he just answered exactly what I was praying for. We need to be prayerful people. In fact, the message translation reads it like this. He's saying, I'm in trouble. I'm in deep trouble. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me. All right? I'm in so much trouble. We're, we're to never pray when we get in that much trouble. But here's what we understand. You and I have the ability to call on the very presence of God, the God that created everything We have that ability to call upon him, and that's what Jonah did. And that's why we read earlier in the service, verse 9, he says these words, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Here's what prayer does. Prayer always puts us back into the right heart attitude. Let me tell you, if you have somebody in your life and you just don't like them at all, you know how you change that? Pray for them. See how long that lasts. You can't pray for somebody too long until God does something in your heart and you'll find yourself, you know, there's some way i got to show them that I show love for them. You have somebody in your life? I know you don't, do you? You're all godly people. You know, you have somebody in your life you're struggling with? Pray for them. Pray for them. You know what that, who it changes the most? You. Pray for them. We see that in Jonah. It's putting him back into the right heart attitude. And notice what takes place in Jonah's life. His entire focus has just changed. Salvation is of the Lord. I will cause a sacrifice to take place, and I'm going to say it with thanksgiving. Even though I'm going up and down to the bottom and the deep and the water's coming in, there's seaweed around my head, I am going to pray. And I'm going to call, I'm going to look to God in his holy temple. Because here's the interesting, God has the final say. You know, we read a few of these uh, verses. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 11, Whoever exalts himself will be, what? Humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. What do we see happening a lot in our society, except especially social media? People humbling themselves. Don't we see that a lot? No. We see people exalting themselves. The humble don't post about it. The humble just keep going on and doing what they're doing. Jesus said, if you try to exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. If you're humbled, God exalts you. I would rather God exalt me any day than me try to exalt me. It just doesn't work. James uh, chapter 4, verse 10 says this, humble yourselves in the sight of who? The Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Uh, Pastor friends that we have in, they actually pastor in Brentwood, Tennessee, Several years ago, he had a book group come to him to write a book about a series that he did in the church. Somebody in the church heard this series they did and they wanted to capture it in a book with their company. The title that he sent in for the book was Humble Yourself Under the Mighty Hand of God. That was the title of the book. Humble Yourself Under the Mighty Hand of God. When he turned in the manuscript. The really the only edit that they sent back from this Christian book company was you've got to change the title. We recommend The Mighty Hand of God because if it says the word humble in it, our research shows Christians don't buy Christian books that say humble on it. They left the title Mighty Hand of God. I don't know what it's all. Think about that. A Christian company said you can't put... Humble on it because people won't buy the book. Well, we read here, Jesus said it. James said it. It's over and over in the Bible that if you want to be exalted, you've got to humble himself. You know what's going on with Jonah right now? Jonah's being humbled. There's nowhere deeper he can go. I mean, God hurled a storm at the ship. The ship is rocking. The captain tries to get his attention. The mariners try to get his attention. They throw him overboard, and then he gets gulped, right? There's nowhere lower that you can go, but his heart changes. That prayer changes him, and it's to humble himself. You know, I love that verse that we can read. That he didn't have the opportunity because of Jesus that we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Let us therefore come boldly, everybody say boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us come boldly. Well, this prophet had the opportunity to do that early on and he decided not to do it. God was so serious and didn't want to choose anyone else but when he saw this humility and this heart of prayer come over Jonah, here's where we pick back up in the Bible. and in verse 10 it says, "So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. I don't think I, I think I've only heard stories of people getting sick eating fish. I've never heard fish getting sick eating people. You've never heard that? The shark just says, oh, yeah, you just don't taste good. I have a friend that um, he loves sushi. Do any of you like sushi? We have any sushi lovers? Okay, i got a few, okay. Have, are any of you like, you know, I will never eat that for the remainder of my life? All right. Uh, so he loves sushi. He knows where to go. Uh, I'll go with him because I don't know what to order. And we've eaten grilled octopus. It's really good. We've eaten eel uh, but I've never gotten sick. And there's people that I know, the first time they eat sushi, like they're hugging the toilet the whole night long. And like that's what I thought. We've never heard a story of a fish getting sick on a person, uh, except God spoke. And so we pick this up in chapter 3, is you don't want to hear this in your life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I don't want to read that the word of the Lord came to Walter A second time because that means I didn't listen the first time but here's what's great in the mercy of God is God is serious about one thing and remember the story is not about the great fish the story is about the people of Nineveh the story is God's heart that he wants to send his prophet with a word to go to one of the wickedest places on the earth at that time so that they have an opportunity to repent. He didn't raise up somebody or speak to somebody in Nineveh. He's going to send his prophet. And so we pick this up in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Let me stop there. Did God's instructions change? No. In fact, it's about word for word, isn't it? Why is it then when God asks us to do something and we don't, we're gonna wait not to do it. Hopefully, that He'll tell us to do something else which what we like to do. He doesn't give us a new order or new directions until we do the thing that He asked us to do on the first time. So we read that: Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, preach to it the message that I tell you. And verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So I like to remember this, an eight word sermon. If you look this up in Hebrew, it's five words. So let's say a five-word sermon. I joked last week, wouldn't that be great to get up and do five words and you say, bow your head, we're going to close, have a great afternoon? Some of you are like, no, I appreciate that. It seems to be according to the scripture that maybe he was doing this for three days. And here's his, his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. We don't read anything else. We don't know if it was longer. Look at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. You know, there's no indication in Scripture or even history that the people had any faith in the Lord God Jehovah. Their faith was wrapped up in wicked, idol worship, child sacrifice. And yet... Hearing these words caused them, as we read, they believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. A complete sign of repentance and humility. Notice verse 7. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Proclaimed, published, right? Put down whatever they could, and it's man, child, woman, and an animal. Now, I don't know about you. Many of you have pets, right? Um, We have one dog, the way that she eats, she'll eat all throughout the day, a little here, a little there. We have another one, if we accidentally left the bag of dog food out, she'd eat the entire bag and die. It just keeps eating, eating, eating. I know when Mia's hungry, because at 4.30 every morning, I feel this heavy paw on my chest. And it's not saying, Walter, I love you, it's Walter, feed me. And all I have to say is, are you hungry? Do you want to eat? Let me tell you, that dog is, woo, perked up. We actually have this special bowl that it, it looks like a, um, it's got all of these different grooves because she would eat so fast that you got to try to slow her down. That, that's my only concern. We can never leave anything out because this dog would just eat and eat and eat and eat. I, I was thinking when I read this, I wonder how I could make Mia fast. That'd be a horrible night. Beyond I me, mean, all you know, trying to, but every everybody's going to fast, everybody's going to humble themselves from the very top of the king. He takes off his robe, he sits down in sackcloth and ashes. Nobody's going to eat, nobody's going to drink. We're going to repent. Verse eight. But let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yeah, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way. Listen to the last of this verse, and from the violence that is in his hands, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew it was evil. I don't believe that there are drug dealers out there today that think what they're doing is right, godly, and honoring. Right? I think they know that they're doing the shady thing. They all, they all knew right away. They, they know what they're doing. In fact, the word says, the violence that was in their hands. Repent from the violence that you're doing in this hand. And look what verse 9 says. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Notice to them, it wasn't even for sure. Here's what I know today. I can confess my sin. 1 John 1, 9. And it says that God is faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I know that I can do that today. They didn't know what was gonna happen, but they did it anyways at what God said. Look at verse 10. Then God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring on them, and he did not do it. You know, when I read this, I think of the heart of God because you know what you would have thought? You would have thought Jonah would have been armed with the hellfire and damnation sermon, right? Just to kind of come in and he's just going to... It's just simple words, really. you got 40 days to repent and clean up your life or it's over. doesn't seem like a lot of description in it. But here's what happened. Evidently, God must have known that there was this opportunity that the people would re- repent and relent from their ways, that sending Jonah was not an option for God not to do. There was this window of opportunity to send Jonah. Yet in the midst of his obeying, we saw a time of prayer where that prayer emboldened him to do exactly what God did. He survives. In fact, when you read your homework on chapter four, I. Sam and I were talking about this Friday. You know, you read Jonah. You know what I would have done in chapter four? Man, I would have thought, I'm going to publish an eight-word book, (laughs) right? I mean, this is like the greatest revival of all time. 120,000 people repent and their animals. Man, this is like God should have. He's mad. He's upset that God didn't do it. We should always be watching regardless of who God works through. We should always thank God when we see changes. Even in the people that we may not like. You did what for them, God? You got to be kidding. You don't know what I know. We should always be thankful when God begins to work. And he'll take a man that tries to run 2200 miles away and he's going to get them he's going to get them there him there just in a different direction, right? With a big, great big fish spit him out on land, and have him finish the job, because in that city the people returned to him. You know, uh, I mentioned this earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 7, the Apostle Paul says these words. Everybody, In fact, let's read this together. Ready? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Let me hear it. This is the will of the Apostle Paul. Is that what it says? No. It's the will of who? God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice. You know when we read that about Apostle Paul, it's like, wait, you already wrote rejoice. I don't need to read it five times. No, he wants to get it over and over. Rejoice, right? Rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything... We see that with Jonah. He comes to himself and he's in water and seaweed. and Can you imagine the muck inside there? And yet he turns and he, he directs his focus to God and what he says changes. His heart changes. He understands that salvation, deliverance is of the Lord. It's only from God. And when that heart changed, God could then use him. But we rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. And in everything we give thanks for this is the will of God. This is the difference in us. This is the will of God. You know, Jesus said something very interesting. You know, uh, I would venture to say today, if you just found somebody random out there and you mentioned, have you ever heard of Jonah? They would say Jonah and the whale. That's what they're for. Most people have heard uh, of Jonah. I'm always when I meet a little fa- family and their little boy's named Jonah, I always think it's an interesting name to name your kid, right? Yeah, just don't take him to the beach. You know maybe just don't, don't, don't take him out. because when I read about Jonah in the Bible, uh, he just kind of doesn't, you know, kind of leaves him at chapter four and you think, man, this guy, he's something else. Jesus believed and knew of Jonah. In fact, he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. There was that connection there. Though Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the, the Son of Man is going to humble himself, empty himself, submit himself to what God wants to do, take off that rope that whatever he took off in heaven to come down to be with us. And so when he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks— This is the will of God. That's what I want to do, because I want to honor him. Bow your heads, if you would, with me today. Lord, again, we, we come and when we look at the scripture, we don't look to see somebody else's error. We look to see how men and women that knew you, loved you, operated to how and what you said. And Lord, I know this, that every one of us, when we look at Jonah, can see a little Jonah in us. But Lord, I I pray that that example of him praying and obeying is what is modeled in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't complain when he was sent to the wilderness. He didn't say, you know, Father, uh, let me go to the synagogue first and we'll put the wilderness off. He humbled himself. He followed everything that the Father wanted him to do. He became that ultimate sacrifice. He's the one that we look to. He is our hope, our trust, our strength, our life. And so, Father, it's to you that we look to. We incline our ear to your sayings, what you have to say. We humble ourselves before you that you are a speaking God and you're speaking to our heart. We are a people that will arise and go. We bless you this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to close with a song before we dismiss. I'm driving home. There's a place as I go home where the cell phone drops off. And I thought, you know, we can get a man on the moon, but we can't have like a cell phone connection for a mile or so. I was talking to somebody, and what's funny is, um, I had called them back, they didn't even know that we got cut off. I think they just kind of kept talking away, and uh, you know, we kind of laughed, and it's like, what was I saying? They They couldn't even remember what they were saying. But I thought about this, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's forever interceding on our behalf. We never lose connection, but he looks down on us and says, Are are we connecting? You know, Jesus' ministry, if you go through it, was about prayer. He would get away early before he hit the the disciples in the crowds. We find him in the garden before the worst times. He's praying, he's praying. That connection to God was so important, so real to him. So, my prayer for you this week is that we pray and obey, right? Be people of prayer. Speak out to God. He's praying for you. The connection is never disconnected. Well, God bless you. If you can, stay for food and fellowship time. If you need prayer today, please come forward. We would love to pray and agree with you. God bless you. Have a great week.